This podcast is sponsored by ebookit.com, self-publishing solutions for the independent author and small press. Visit us today at ebookit.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin. And I'm Ryan Levesque. Ryan, spontaneous speaking. Sometimes we call it impromptu speaking or in Toastmasters practice, we call table topics. It's It's something that we seem to do every day, yet over and over we find miscommunication, for lack of a better term, being the word of the day. Today we have an expert whose name has been synonymous with spontaneous speaking from a ripe young age and is now dedicating his career to drive better communication, and we welcome him as a repeat offender here on the Toastmasters podcast. Ryan, who are we speaking to today? Today's guest is Matt Abrahams. Matt is a leading expert in communication with decades of experience as an educator, author, podcast host, and coach. As a lecturer at Stanford University's Graduate School of Business, Matt teaches popular classes in strategic communication and effective virtual presenting. His online talks garner millions of views, and he hosts the popular award-winning podcast, Think Fast, Talk Smart, the podcast. He is the author of Speaking Up Without Freaking Out and his newest book, Think Faster, Talk Smarter, How to Speak Successfully When You're Put on the Spot. Matt has contributed an article to the September issue of the Toastmaster magazine called Think Faster and Talk Smarter to Hone Your Spontaneous Speaking. Matt holds an additional distinction. He is the most frequent guest ever on the Toastmasters podcast and a personal favorite for both Greg and me. Appearing for his fifth time on the show, Matt Abrahams, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Welcome. Ryan and Greg, it is a true pleasure to be back here with you. It is, I, I like the idea of being a repeat offender. Uh, thank you. I am back to offend some more. No, I always enjoy our conversations. Thanks for having me back. Well, we keep having you back because the checks keep clearing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just kidding, of course. Now, Matt, we mentioned in the intro that your name is synonymous with impromptu speaking, and you've obviously become the go-to guy for this topic. However, there's another connection between your name and spontaneous speaking. How did this all come about? Yes. So all growing up, I always went first in all of my schooling. As a former high school teacher, I can say this. Teachers can get lazy sometimes and often will seat students in alphabetical order by last name. And with the last name being A.B. and Abrahams, I was always first. I always knew where my seat was. I always knew the order in which I would be speaking. So I became from a very early age comfortable speaking in the moment on the spot because I never knew what the prompt would be. I never knew what the question would be. I certainly knew I was going first. So (laughs) that motivated me to do my homework for sure. Uh, So it's something that's been with me for my entire life. And only two times can I remember somebody ever going before me. And that was somebody with the last name Abbott and somebody with the last name A-B. Yeah, A-B-B-E-Y. Good thing you didn't have Johnny Aardvark in your class. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, at the business school, I do teach with somebody whose last name is Ocker, A-A. So there is somebody. Interesting. Matt, Greg and I were speculating over the weekend. Do you think there could kind of be any kind of a connection between the last name you have and why that contributed to you being called on so much as a child and now your eventual chosen career and specialty? Certainly, there could be some correlation. I think a story that we've talked about before on the podcast, uh, again, as a teenager in school, 
I ripped my pants in the midst of giving a presentation in front of many, many people. That, I think, had a more direct impact on my interest mm. in communication and helping people manage anxiety than, than my last name. But I certainly know that I became much more comfortable speaking in the moment because I was called on often first. But uh, I think those two schooling events certainly put me on the path to being focused on communication. Same color boxers and pants. Got to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a hack for you right there. I was certainly less concerned with, with style and fashion when I was 14 years old. Let's just put it that way. Ah, got it. So it's obvious we've been very spontaneous in our speaking here today, and we realize it's such a huge topic. We'll certainly ask you a little later about your, your new book. The article seems to focus in on two aspects, mindset and message. Thinking of mindset, I know some people may have the mindset to more or less take the first exit rather than to speak off the cuff. And there's really, there are many methods to get butterflies in formation. What's one of your favorites? So mindset is more than just managing anxiety, but managing anxiety is critical. And the, and the first step in the methodology that I talk about around becoming more comfortable and confident speaking spontaneously. In terms of anxiety management, I would say that there are three major things that can really help people. There are many techniques. In fact, my first book, Speaking Up Without Freaking Out, I identify 50 techniques, not expecting all 50 to work for every person. Clearly, deep, low, slow breaths, belly breaths can really help. The kind you would do if you've ever done yoga or Tai Chi, where you are giving yourself time to take full inhalations and exhalations. And it turns out, and since we last spoke, I actually learned this. I'm always learning and continue. I, I'm excited to learn. On the podcast I host, which is all about communication, I had Andrew Huberman on as a guest. Andrew is big into breathing and how to help ourselves feel more confident in situations. And he taught me that it's the exhalation where all the magic happens. I always thought deep breathing, certainly the inhalation mattered, but it's really the exhalation. So the rule of thumb, or what I like to say, the rule of lung, is you want your exhale to be twice as long as your inhale. Take a three count in, a six count out. You do that two or three times. It calms down your autonomic nervous system, which is really behind the fight or flight. So taking a deep belly breath, low and slow, especially with the exhale, number one bit of advice. Second bit of advice, remind yourself that you're in service of your audience. You're there for them. They want to learn from you. You have value to bring. Many of us get very self-critical and can judge ourselves in ways that gets in the, get in the way. And so when we remind ourselves we're in service of the audience, that can reduce anxiety. And then anything else that we can do to help us be present-oriented. Many of us are made nervous by the potential negative future outcome of what we're doing. So if you're leading a meeting or you're doing a pitch, you're worried that the meeting will fail or you won't get the support from the pitch you were hoping for. So if you can get yourself present-oriented by doing something physical, like walking around the building, talking to people before the presentation or meeting starts, you can count backwards from some complex number. Start at 100, count backwards by 17s. All of those get you present-oriented. So if you said there were only three things I could encourage people to do to reduce their anxiety and communication, it would be deep belly breaths, remind yourself you have value to bring. And then finally, do something to get you present-oriented. All of those will help reduce some of that anxiety. Mm. Quick follow-up. I did listen to your podcast with Andrew Huberman, which was fantastic. Yeah. I believe I, he talked about the exhale, as you just shared. Mm -hmm. 
and he did not use this term, but I've heard him elsewhere describe it if we're talking about the same thing as the physiological sigh. Mm-hmm. And he has yes. a, a short YouTube video that mm-hmm. demos exactly how to do this. We'll link that in the show notes. Yeah, you're exactly right. And and that's what he calls it. It goes by lots of different names. The, the, the simple rule of lung, again, is exhale twice as long as you inhale. There's some things about how you hold your breath, how you might take a little extra oxygen in before you do mm-hmm. that exhale. The video you're referring to is very helpful. Now, Matt, would you use these techniques to get rid of the fillers, you know, the ahs, the ums, the errs? Is that a, a method that you would use in the breathing or is there a, a different way you might recommend? So breath is very involved in filler word. So again, I learn a lot and have learned a lot since we last spoke. Another person I interviewed on my podcast, her name is Valerie Friedland. She's a neurolinguist convinced me that filler words are not all bad. They actually serve functions in communication. Where they become troublesome is when they are distracting. When you say so many of them that people focus on the filler word than what you're saying. So I I have now a convert. I do not believe the goal is to eradicate filler words. The goal is simply to minimize filler words. So I've had a, a sort of realization epiphany there. Breathing can help reduce filler words simply by training yourself to be out of breath at the end of sentences or phrases. The filler words that stand out most are the ones that come in silence. So if I am speaking in the midst of speaking, throw in an um, an er, a like, you don't pay as much attention because you're making meaning of what I'm saying. But if when I am done speaking, um, and then start speaking again, you hear that because there's silence. Right. This takes practice, but if you train yourself to be out of breath at the end of a sentence, in order to speak again, you must inhale. A truism in all speech is you cannot speak while inhaling. You speak while exhaling. Speaking is an exit-only event. So if I train myself to be out of breath while I'm inhaling before I can speak again, not only do I eliminate filler words, I build in a pause. And as you and all Toastmasters know, pausing is effective. So breath is involved in managing filler words, but it's involved by actually stopping breathing and then starting up again to eliminate those between sentence and phrase fillers. Wow. Amazing. Matt, in your article, you have this super inspiring, I'm being a little bit sarcastic here, uh, (laughs) admonition to the audience of dare to be dull. That's what I've always wanted to be. When I was a young boy, I said, I want to grow up and be dull. (laughs) Of course, I'm I'm teasing, but it sounds counterintuitive. Nobody wants to be boring. And I know that this is a a maxim that comes from improv. But I I do at the same time wonder, many people have this fear that "Eh, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Do you think this dare to be dull challenge or notion could reinforce this negative belief? That's a great question. Thank you. Uh, and it's one that that I haven't, to, in all candor, haven't thought about. Uh, let me tell you the method behind the madness of dare to be dull, and mm-hmm. then I'll come back and answer the question you just asked. Dare to be dull comes from the world of improvisation. The notion is that as an improviser, everything you do doesn't have to be special and magic. Sometimes the best thing to do is to to do just the mundane. In the classes I teach at Stanford's Business School, I've taken this up a notch, and I will actually advise my students to strive for mediocrity. And you should see the jaws drop of Stanford MBA students being told (laughs) to strive for mediocrity because never in their life have they been told anything but to achieve greatness. Here's the magic 
behind dare to be dull or strive for mediocrity. We hold ourselves to very high standards when we communicate. We want to do it well. In fact, we want to do it right. And we put a tremendous amount of pressure on ourselves to do it right, to do it well. Which means when we are communicating, we are constantly judging and evaluating the communication that we're saying. Now, I am certainly not saying you shouldn't judge your, com your communication. You should. It, it's important. People succeed in life because they say the right thing or, or they say better things or they don't say the wrong things, for example. But when we are in high stakes in the moment presentations, if we are judging and evaluating everything we say, it by definition will reduce the quality of what we're saying. Here's why. In many ways, your brain is like a computer, a CPU. It only has so much processing power. You know how when you're on your phone or you're on your laptop and you're running lots of programs simultaneously, each program runs a little less efficiently because you're running so many. Your brain in many ways works the same way. If I'm judging and evaluating, I'm using precious bandwidth to do that, which means I'm taking away bandwidth from my in the moment speaking. So when I say dare to be dull or strive for mediocrity, what I am encouraging people to do is I'm encouraging them to just say what needs to be said rather than judging and evaluating and striving to do it right. And in so doing, by daring to be dull, striving for mediocrity, because you focus your resources on what you're saying, you actually will do things amazingly well. So I actually tell my MBA students, strive for mediocrity so you can achieve greatness in your communication. And after the explanation I just went through with you, they understand, and I hope your listeners do as well, the method of the madness there. Now, your point of is that advice reinforcing people feeling like they don't have value to add? I certainly hope people are taking the advice for what it really means, which is focus on connecting to your audience rather than trying to perfect what you say. Uh, I interviewed Joan London for my new book, and she actually helped me cement this in a very pithy but important statement. She said, so what you're really saying, Matt, is strive for connection, not perfection. And I said, yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. So that's the approach and the idea behind Dare to be Dull. Sounds a lot more empowering with the context. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, boring is beautiful. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I love how you always like to reframe things, and this reframe was super helpful. Now, here's something else that you reframed for us in the article, the, the principle of, of knowing your audience, that common principle when preparing for a presentation. Again, part of serving your audience. But you put it, again, you put it differently. You say appreciate what's needed. What does that mean in this context and how does it work? In any spontaneous speaking situation, we really have to slow down and pay attention to what's going on. One of my colleagues at Stanford Business School, his name is Collins Dobbs, and he has this great saying that I really like, and it's pace, space, grace. Now he applies this to conflictual communication. I take it and apply it to listening. In the moment where I have to speak spontaneously, you ask me a question, you ask for feedback, I make a mistake, I have to correct it, I need to slow things down. I need to appreciate what's going on in the moment so I can respond better. So we have to slow the pace down. We have to give ourselves space to think. We have to make sure we can collect our thoughts and really focus on what's needed. So we might pause, we might ask a question, we might use a paraphrase, all of these are tools that give us space. So we slow down, 
we give ourselves some space, and then we have to give ourselves some grace, some permission, not only to observe what's happening in the moment, but to also listen to our intuition. Let me give you an example of how knowing what's needed, or at least looking for what's needed, is important. Imagine, Greg, that you walk out of a meeting, and Ryan walks out of the same meeting, and Ryan turns to you, Greg, and says, how did that go? What do you think? And Greg, you immediately hear, oh, Ryan wants feedback. I'm going to give him feedback. And you list and itemize all the things that didn't go so well in the meeting, so next time Ryan can do better. But had you slowed down for a moment, slowed the pace, given yourself a little space, and taken a little grace, you might have noticed that Ryan was looking down as he asked you for feedback. He was speaking a little more slowly. He was moving towards the window, not the elevator. And you might think, what he really wants not in this moment is feedback, but support. Maybe Ryan knows it didn't go well and he wants some support from you. So doing and knowing what's needed requires you to give yourself a little pace, space, and grace so you can actually ascertain what is really needed in the moment rather than jumping into what I talk about heuristic processing, where we just do what we always do because that's what we've always done. Somebody asks for feedback, I give feedback versus, ah, in this moment, I need to give support. Does that help with the understanding of that idea? Absolutely. For sure. Pace, space, and grace. Yes. Well, Matt, that's obviously a perfect segue shifting from mindset to the message, which you sort of touched upon a little bit. I mean, we know that obviously what we say in communication and in an impromptu situation is important, what you say and not just how we say it. But often we just don't have the luxury of time. In essence, we don't have the time to prepare. We also don't have a lot of time to answer it. How do we overcome some of these challenges in this impromptu situation? Well, so anybody who has heard my previous visits to your podcast have heard me talk about structure, and you've set me up very nicely to talk about it here. I believe one of the key successful ingredients to successful spontaneous speaking is leveraging structure. And this sounds strange because we're talking about spontaneity, and now I'm advocating for structure. And you might be thinking, how does that work? Well, structure is actually incredibly helpful to freeing us up to be creative. I want to share a couple bits of data for you or stories that that really support this. So in writing my new book, Think Faster, Talk Smarter, I interviewed people who leverage structure to help them be creative and spontaneous. So I talked to several jazz musicians. Jazz music is not just random music. Jazz music follows very specific patterns and rules about how music and notes and chords come together. So while it's spontaneous, it's following some rules. Similarly, I've talked to improvisers. Improv, many people think, is just on the spot, making up crazy ideas that that somehow magically come together. They're actually following a series of very specific maxims or rules, the most famous of which is yes and. If you go into a scene and you're an improviser, knowing that you and your other improvisers are always going to say yes to what you suggest, that frees you up to do lots of magical things. Last example I'll give you. I spoke to a woman who designs children's playgrounds. And she shared with me that playgrounds that actually include structures in them, like swings and slides and nets, invite kids to be more creative. When you just give kids an open field to play in, they don't play as creatively. In fact, what they do is they start using other kids as play structure. So it actually gets kind of aggressive. The point here is I'm trying to 
I'm trying to leverage these examples to show that creativity, spontaneity is actually aided by structure. It's not reduced by structure. So what do I mean by a structure? A structure is nothing more than a logical connection of ideas. It's a roadmap. Think of it as a recipe. I don't know about you, Greg, or you, Ryan. I am not a very good cook. I up the likelihood that my food will be better than I prepare if I follow a recipe. And the same is true in our speaking. When you're put on the spot, in the moment, to answer a question, to apologize, to try to pitch somebody, if you have a structure that you can rely on, it helps you because it tells you how you are going to say what you say. Not what you're going to say, but how you're going to say it. Just like a recipe or a map provides you directionality. So that's why structure is so important. I'm going to answer a question I bet you're going to ask. So I'm sorry to take you. I'm a podcast host too. So I'm going to ask myself a question. I would follow up by say, okay, give me an example. So let me give you an example. If you're trying to pitch something, an idea, a product, a service, you could leverage a structure called problem, solution, benefit. Describe the problem that exists. Talk about how your product, service, or offering solves that problem. And then explain the potential benefits that go with it. Packaging up your pitch by stating the problem, then the solution, then the benefit makes it easier for you and it makes it easier for your audience because the information is nicely packaged up. Matt, can you give us a quick example of problem solution benefit for a particular product or service? Let's make this think faster, talk smarter. Give me a product that you would like me to sell and I will sell it to you in problem solution benefit. It can be a made up product, a real product. I just have to know what it is. That's all I need. It's called the Toastmasters podcast. Aha. Uh -huh. So there's another structure I like for what I call elevator pitch, quick, high level persuasion. So let me use it. It's four sentence starters. What if you could so that, for example, and that's not all. So I'm going to use that structure to pitch the Toastmasters podcast. What if you could hone and develop your Toastmaster skills while having some fun so that you can improve, impress your colleagues and friends, and ultimately be more comfortable and confident speaking? For example, if you listen to the Toastmasters podcast, you will learn lots of information about how to communicate more effectively. And that's not all. You'll also get insight into your leadership skills as well as other interpersonal skills. Listen to the Toastmasters podcast today. Do you see how all I did by following those sentence prompts? What if you could so that, for example, and that's not all, I was able to articulate what I hope was a pretty decent pitch for your podcast. It sure was. And one more thing, as Steve Jobs always said. Yeah, that's the end. That's not all. Yeah. You get two illustrious hosts. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Greg Gazin and Ryan Levesque. There you go. That's right. With amazing guests. No, never mind. We won't go there. <laughs> well done, Matt. That structure just flows so naturally. Doesn't yeah. it? Doesn't yeah. it? It, it? I developed this structure. I had a problem. I was at the business school and I was brought in to coach 25 companies that had initial seed round funding. And I needed to very quickly ascertain what the company did. I, I had like a half hour with each company. And if they took 10 minutes to tell me what they did, I didn't have as much time. So I came up with these sentence prompts. Within a minute, I got oriented to what their business was and their value proposition was, which allowed me more time to give them coaching. 
And then I started sharing this with other people and they're like, hey, that's really good. That's helpful for me to do lots of things. So I'm now sharing it more broadly. Matt, I know that both mindset and message are important components of spontaneous speaking. And I know everyone you work with is unique, but I want to ask you something a bit hypothetical. Let's say you had time to coach someone on only one aspect, either mindset or message. Which would you choose? Wow. That is a hard question because if I only had one, I believe that I would focus on message and structure. Because if you have a go-to structure that you can use, even if you lack confidence, even if you're not a good listener, even if you see these situations as challenging and threatening, and those are all things I talk about when I talk about mindset, I still think you can articulate your point of view. My ultimate goal in all the work I do is to ensure that we hear diverse, varied ideas and opinions. And if that's my goal, then I think structure is most important because it will help you get your idea out. It might not be the most effective, confident delivery of that idea, but if you focus on structure and you said, I could only do one, I would have to go for structure. Wow, that's fascinating. And it's actually exactly the opposite of what I predicted, you might say, huh. <laughs> which, which makes it even more fascinating. You put me in an impossible decision. Right. I did. I did. It's like picking among your two kids, which one are you going to choose? (laughs) What I did there to make that choice was really abstract to say, what is my ultimate goal? And my ultimate goal is to make sure we hear people's varied voices and opinions. And a structure can help you do that because you can write it out. You can speak it. I do think it probably is slightly more important. Hmm. Great. So you actually just answered my next question because I was going to say, let's take a time out here. I know I just threw you a curveball. Tell me about your thought process of talking fast, thinking smarter. Did I say that right? Say think fast, thinking fast, <laughs> thinking talking fast, smarter. talking yeah. smarter. Yeah. Yes. Is there anything else you might add to what you just did to to come up with that brilliant answer? Well, thank you for saying that it was brilliant. So you want me to do a little meta reflection about what I said? Exactly. Yeah. When I hear a question, I immediately think to myself, what's the bottom line of the question? And then I think to myself, who am I sharing this response with? So I immediately try to make sure I'm focused on the right question. And then I focus on who am I sharing this with? So what I heard in your question was, you're asking me to prioritize among two things that I find valuable. So it was really about the prioritization, which led me to think of, For people who are likely affiliated with Toastmasters, communication is something that's really important to them and getting their messages out. So that's the path I went through very quickly. So whenever somebody puts me in a position to respond spontaneously, the very first thing I think of is what's the bottom line here? That's my first go-to. And then my second is for this audience, how do I connect that bottom line to them? And that's where I start the process. Got it. Wow. That's fascinating. I, I love that looking for the bottom line of the connection and of the question rather, and then starting from there. Yes. And going back to serving your audience. Exactly. Exactly. But before I can serve my audience, I have to understand the context or concept that I'm discussing. Right. So it's not necessarily your personal preference, but rather what's needed for the audience at that moment in time. That's correct. Ooh, which goes back (laughs) to that other ingredient. Nice, Mm -hmm. Greg. Good call back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I saw what you did there. That's not even in my notes. Yeah, there you go. See, look, you're spontaneous. There we go. It worked. 
So, of course, we spoke a few times about your previous books, Speaking Up Without Freaking Out. And we talked about that in episode 111 of the Toastmasters podcast and in and Toastcaster, which we'll talk about shortly, episode 93. Now, again, you've got a brand new book that is just coming out, Think Faster, Talk Smarter. Can you please enlighten us a little bit about that? Yeah, so that book is really all about what we've been discussing. It's a six-step methodology to help people feel more comfortable and confident speaking in a variety of spontaneous situations. The book really has two parts. The first part is about mindset and message. And then the second part takes six specific spontaneous speaking situations and gives advice and guidance for those specific situations, such as giving feedback, making small talk, apologizing for mistakes, etc. so that it's a deeper dive to help people feel more comfortable in those specific spontaneous speaking situations. Super. And Matt, we referenced that you also host your own podcast. Can you mm-hmm. give our listeners just a quick uh, overview of what they can find on your show? So the show is called Think Fast, Talk Smart. I'm not very creative with names, as you can tell. <laughs> In Think Fast, Talk Smart, we are about to release our 100th episode. It's not, uh, we haven't been around as long as you all have. I, I aspire to, to your longevity. We focus exclusively on communication. So I interview both academics and and practitioners around the the topics of communication. Uh, It could be how to become more confident in speaking. It could be how to be more influential and persuasive, how to negotiate. We've talked about uh, including diversity, equity, inclusion in our communication, lots of different topics, all of which I think help anybody who is striving to improve their communication. And you also have the Think, is it Think Fast, Talk Smart blog as well as part of your branding? I do. I do have a newsletter that comes out, Think Fast, Talk Smart, the newsletter. If anybody's interested in learning about more resources, you can go to fastersmarter.io and you'll see videos and newsletters and, and lots of things there to help improve communication skills, including my articles from Toastmasters. And then I'm sure we're going to see Think Fast, Talk Smart, the movie, and then Think Fast, Talk Smart, the sandwich. Uh, I don't think we're on that path, but it, I, I wonder what a Think Fast, Talk Smart sandwich is. That's That, that would be really interesting. Uh, I, you've got me curious. Something that you can eat with your mouth, or you can talk with your mouth full, I guess. It would have to be a very small sandwich. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, the branding is very clever because what it does is it pretty much ties it all together. And when you think of the when you think of the book, you can also think of the podcast, et cetera, et cetera. In all seriousness, I was just kidding uh, with you. There you go. There you go. I like it. You're part of the PR team now. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, if you've enjoyed listening to Matt for the fifth time on the podcast as much as we have, we always learn something new because Matt is always learning something new. You can find the Toastmasters podcast at toastmasterspodcast.com, toastmasters.org, Google, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget, please share this with your family and friends. Ryan. And just a special note for our listeners, we are excited to continue the discussion with Matt over on Greg's podcast, Toastcaster. We're going to dive even deeper into some of the concepts we've already discussed and get into some of the other exciting topics related to Matt's book. So please join us over at Toastcaster for that. I'm also going to briefly mention that Ryan has also agreed to co-host on Toastcaster. That's just because he just wants to keep talking to Matt and he has FOMO, (laughs) the fear of missing out. That's right. I'm very happy that he'll be there to do some heavy lifting. 
Also, folks, don't forget to check out Matt's article in the September 2023 issue of the Toastmaster magazine. And before we leave, Matt, just briefly, once again, can you please let us know how people can find you and your book and your blog and your sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I need to add that webpage. You guys are fun. The easiest place to go to find anything about me is mattabrahams.com, M-A-T-T, Abrahams, just like Abraham Lincoln with an S, dot com. Everything I do is there. Thank you again for this opportunity. If you make heavy use of LinkedIn, please join me there as well. I do a lot of sharing and interacting on that platform. Matt Abrahams, thank you so much for coming back to the show. Again, it's been a total pleasure. We love having you and love the work that you're putting out into the world. Greg and Ryan, it is a true pleasure to be back with you. You are such fun in doing such important work. Thank you. Isn't it about time you publish that book you've been thinking about? We can help with that. At ebookit.com, we've been providing authors and small presses with ebook publishing services since 2010. Visit us today at ebookit.com and let us know how we can help you.